Good morning. Wonderful to be together this morning. If you're a guest here, as Simon said, it's great to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. My name is Sarush. I'm one of the elders here at Jubilee. Um, and this morning we'll be sharing the word. And if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you know that we're uh, going through a series called Life to the Full. And uh, we're going to continue that. And this morning is going to be on temptation. Temptation. Wow, what a word. Um, it, well, just like everything else, really, uh, the Bible says something about a particular word and the culture tells us something else. Um, and I think the word temptation has also been affected by the culture here. So it's lost really its significance. So uh, people even use it on products. I just realized as I was preparing for this sermon that it's, they, they use the name for some particular products to make it more sellable, like uh, deodorants, dark temptation, gold temptation. Um, Bill, if you're wondering what that is, uh, it's, you know, Old Spice, but the up-to-date version uh, for this generation. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, uh, it's actually a, a name for some particular products to make them sellable so people can, can go for them. Uh, sometimes when you think about temptation, uh, people have different uh, pictures in mind. So let's think about a freshly baked scone. It's cut into half with a great layer of strawberry jam on and then a bit of cream and then it's just amazing with a cup of tea. People would usually say, that's tempting, isn't it? Uh, and then you just see a picture of some minced lamb mixed with herbs and spices, and then they're just rolled onto a barbecue, and you can see as the fat is dripping, it's, it's on the charcoal. It's just the music to your ears, isn't it? So tempting, eh? It's really tempting. I'm feeling... Yeah, um, I'm, I shouldn't have said that. I feel like I'll have to bring this sermon to an end right now so I can get home and eat. But, uh, so, temptation, the word is used for quite a lot of things in our lives. But uh, whilst we may joke about it, the Bible takes it really seriously. Uh, and it's evident from the first pages of the Bible, from the very beginning of the Bible, the word is there. Um, Jesus taught his disciples, in fact, uh, to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So it must be something really, really important. Um, and just to get things really right, right at the beginning, is that temptation is not sin. We know this because Eve was tempted before the fall, and Jesus was also tempted, as we read in Hebrews, but yet without sin. Temptation is desire, a desire that's not in line with God's will, is not in line with what God has for us, which, if given into, it can lead into sin, which leads to death. We can see many people overcoming temptation in the Bible, whilst also many give in to it. So we can see right from the beginning, some people really defeated by temptation. I've already said one of them, Eve. Um, she saw the fruit, it was pleasing to the eye, it was good, it looked really nice, and then she gave in to it. Then we see King David and Bathsheba. King David, a great man of God. A great guy. I mean, you look at his life and how he dealt with Saul, and if you've read the whole story, you know his integrity really with Saul. But then, yet again, he gave into temptation. He saw this lady who was taking a bath. Instead of turning away, thinking she's not mine, he gave into it. He went one step further. Um, he committed adultery. And even worse, to make it right, um, he sent her husband to the war 
one of his great servants, faithful guy, so that he could be killed. And that didn't make things right. So he gave into temptation for sexual immorality. Samson, he was deceived by Delilah. If you've read the story, you know that that even led to Samson's death as well. And Achan in Joshua, he was deceived because of wealth. He was deceived because there was gold and silver and other things that God had forbidden. But he took him away with him. He thought, I'm going to hide them under the ground somewhere and I'll come back for it. It'll still be there. But not knowing that God sees everything. So he gave in to the things that were forbidden. But we also see people who actually overcome temptation. They're, they're tempted, but they're victorious over it. Elisha, who refused payment when Naaman came to him and said, he was really reluctant. He said, I'm, I've got leprosy. I want you to heal me. He was healed, came back and offered lots and lots of money. Elisha said, no. I'm not going to take money for what God has done. It's not right. He had integrity. Joseph refused to commit adultery with his uh, master's wife. He had real integrity. That actually led to him going into prison. But yet, he didn't give in to it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to give in to temptation. To temptation of saving their own lives, all it would have taken was to bow down before a big statue to say, yes, you are God and we believe you. They didn't, even if that meant they would be killed. They didn't give in to it. These are not fictional characters. These are real people, real times. These are real events. But just like with everything else, we always say Jesus is the greatest example, don't we? So how did Jesus deal with it? What did he do? C.S. Lewis, a great Christian author, says, because Christ was the only man who never yielded to temptation... He's also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. The only complete realist. Let's see how our Lord Jesus Christ dealt with temptation. If you've got a Bible, please turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. So this is Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. If you haven't got a Bible, the words will be projected on the screen. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, for you are the greatest example for us to follow in every single thing in life. Lord Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's life. We thank you that it has been given to us so we can meditate on it, Lord. We pray that as we go through your word that you help us understand it. 
Holy Spirit, we pray that you lead us in understanding the word, that you unpack it for us. We give you all the honor and glory because to you it only belongs as we've just read in your word. So we worship you, we give you honor and praise. Be with us this morning and lead us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here, Jesus is beginning his public ministry. Um, I'm just going to grab this. Don't worry, there's no tea or anything in it. Well, there's no health and safety issues there. I've got some other stuff in there, though. Um, Jesus has started his public ministry. Um, if you read the uh, previous chapters, you can see that there's a little bit about Jesus' life, how he was born, he just grew up, just a tiny bit about what he did when uh, he was young, and then his uh, genealogy of his, uh, how he came to being, his fathers, and uh, everything else, and then suddenly he's taken to this place, to this wilderness, desert. Now, to some of you, it may sound really good, because sometimes I'm, I'm confused and I'm wondering. We sing songs and we say, in the sun and in the rain, and I'm thinking, to me, mm, I come from that sort of area, and I know rain is good and blessing, and I know that the sun is not a real blessing. Whereas my brothers and sisters here are singing, in the sun, yeah, and in the rain, uh, you are good. So, well, we're pretty much on the same page, but sometimes we, we, uh, we have different understandings. So Jesus is in the desert. It's probably sunny all day, and it's warm. Now, to him, it didn't sound good, because uh, that's how it usually is almost all year. Now, to you, it may sound good, but he's not on holiday. He's not on a holiday resort. He's not on a beach. He's not, he hasn't got like a really nice cold drink in his hand, taking sunbathing. People usually run away uh, from the sun in that sort of area. So he's in the wilderness. He's just started his public ministry. What happens? He's taken and he's tempted. Um, and he's going to prepare himself. He's, he's been fasting for 40 days. Yeah, you heard me right, 40, 4, 0, um, 40 days. Now, to how many of you, four hours of fasting is a real, real stretch? Now, if you know me, you know that it's not a problem for me at all, but uh, four hours of fasting, four days of fasting, 40 days. Jesus is not eaten for 40 days. Um, as Simon said uh, in the announcements, uh, we're going to move around uh, prayer meetings into different community groups. The next one is at uh, uh, Roseworth. But the one in December is a good opportunity for us, actually, because it's going to be a day of fasting where we're going to invite all of you to fast for the day, and then we're going to eat together at the prayer meeting. Um, so it's going to be a wonderful uh, opportunity. Hopefully, I'm going to find some sort of excuse uh, not to fast. No, I'm joking. I actually look forward to it. And you don't have to wait till then to, to be fasting. You can start even from today if you'd like to. Then what happens? Jesus is there with everything really going against him. And there's uh, uh, Satan who comes and says, If you're the Son of God, here's some stone. Tell him to become bread. Now, how many of you would happily do that there and then and say, I have the authority, I'll tell this stone to become bread? I've actually got some in here. If Dave was there and he was telling me, you claim to be Christian. You're hungry. There's lots of stones here. Tell them to become bread. I would say, yep, I want this one to become Yorkshire pudding. This one, roast chicken. And this one, some nice gravy. I'll actually keep one in case Dave comes and wants some of it. I can just throw it at him so I can have it all to myself. So Jesus would have been able to do that. And he's, I mean, there's, 
he's hungry, it just makes sense, doesn't it? He hasn't eaten for 40 days. His ministry has just begun. He needs some strength. He needs some carbohydrates and protein and other things. But what does he say? He quotes the scripture. Now, how many of you in that situation would be able to quote John 3.16, never mind Deuteronomy, when you're tempted? You'd be able to actually quote something from the Bible from memory to say, no, in fact, this is not God's will for me. If you've known me for more than five minutes, you know that I've got nothing against eating. In fact, uh, it's a great thing. It's, it's a gift that God has given us. But sometimes it can be a barrier as well. Satan doesn't seem to be updated with his tricks because um, that's what he used right at the beginning with Eve, as we read. It was to do with eating. Then he's tempting Jesus again. And it's to do with eating. Oh, just eat. It's all right. It's not eating that's the problem. It's who you eat with. It's the company and the community there. Jesus' response is, I can do that, but it's not my Father's will. I can imagine that it would have been a mirage moment, really, looking at a stone, thinking, oh, this is a freshly hot baked bread. I can get it, eat it. It's going to fill my tummy. I'm going to tell you an experience. Maybe the first few days that we came into this country, we were in... Uh, Middlesbrough, obviously, we were dispersed here, and uh, it was in August. We were in the town center, and guess what we were doing? We were looking for a winter coat, because uh, it was still cold for us. So Mavish and I spent, obviously, we had to get to know the shops, and we had to budget things and find out where things are. We couldn't find a winter coat, obviously, in August, and we were thinking, oh, don't people really feel cold? And we realized that it's the summer in here, and... Um, so we were looking around. After um, the whole day, we were really tired and we hadn't been able to find what we wanted to. Uh, we were just walking past this shop and I saw this really wonderful suite in there. It was glazed on top with some icing and it, it just looked wonderful. I just went in there and got it. Now, when you come from a different culture and the food is a bit different, um, you, it takes you a bit of time to get used to different tastes. So the first few months that we were here, I really lost weight. Now I know it's really difficult for you to believe. I lost weight because uh, quite a lot of the things that we used to eat, even fruit and other things, they didn't really taste much um, to me. And it was just because of the uh, difference that we had, um, difference in diet. Um, I used to say to Mavash, this is not an apple. It's water shaped into apple. This is not a pear. It's water shaped into a pear. Um, so I lost quite a lot of weight, but I saw that suite and I thought, this looks amazing. This must be it. So I went in, we, we both got one, came out, the first bite into it, and I was just like thinking, where's the first bin? I need to get rid of this. It, it tastes nothing like it, what it looks like, really. Now, I know Andy is offended, but no, I would happily have that now because um, I'm used to the taste now. But to Jesus, it could have been the same. And the temptations are usually the same. So you're tempted, you're given hope of something, um, you're tempted into doing something with a hopeful result, and then you go into it and you realize it's not that. And the hope is short-term. Jesus was aware that what, what is said and what looks pleasing is not really the will of God. Now, are you in wilderness? 
just like Jesus. Are you alone? Do you feel lonely? Do you feel that you're on your own in this? Do you feel hungry? Do you feel that you've not ate for a while spiritually? Then hang on to the Word of God. Do what Jesus did. As I said right at the beginning, He's the greatest example we have. Now, the devil tried, obviously, probably knew uh, Jesus was Middle Eastern, so food is big. So let me try the easiest thing. Food, he may give up. No, he didn't. So he started with something else. He took him up and showed him all the kingdom of the world in one moment. He shows him all the pleasures of the world. Money, fame, power, sex. Now, I know some of the Iranian friends would say, oh, he said the word. S-E-X. We thought he's Christian because uh, culturally you don't usually say the word. But this is the reality. That's what uh, Satan showed to our Lord. This is what he said. This is what he showed him. Look, it's all mine. It's all been given to me. I've got authority over all of it. Look around. It can be yours. It can be yours if you say that I'm God. If, it can be yours if you just bow down and worship me. It'll only take two seconds. It can all be yours. I can give you all of this. Now, Satan knew really well that it all belongs to Jesus anyway. But what he was offering was, he was taking the suffering and pain away from it. Because he knew that this kingdom that he can give to Jesus, there's no suffering and pain in it, and therefore looks pleasing to Jesus. Because Jesus knew full well that there is pain in the offering. That there is suffering waiting for him. For you and I, he knew that full well. So Satan tells him, I can give you all of this. You'll have no pain whatsoever. There's no suffering. All it takes is to bow down before me. Have you ever felt that there's a better way to get to something that God's already promised you, but there's a better way? Because sometimes God doesn't really know what he's talking about. You know, because it takes long with him, doesn't it, sometimes? Or there's quite a lot of other things involved. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt there's a shortcut? This can be individually in our lives, in our family life, but also at church as well. Sometimes there's quite a lot of other things out there for a church like us that are not necessarily ungodly, but it's not what God has for us. And it can be very tempting to say, yeah, let's get to it, because it's so tempting, we can get to it. It doesn't require much effort, and we will get there anyway. But if God's not in it, we don't want it. Many of us may have been there many times where you've been offered something which is not necessarily ungodly, but you know it's not of God for you. It's not God's will for you there and then. And you know God's promised it to you and he will deliver it at the right time. So I want to encourage you, if you're at that situation, trust in God. Allow him to bring about his promises into fruition. Let him do what he wants to do, even if it takes a bit longer in our eyes. I've been there many times, and very often I've given in, and many times God has really been gracious to me and has helped me. Uh, if you know me, you know that I came to Christ in Iran, and uh, it's not the best thing to do in a nation like that. You see, I am... Uh, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Of course, I would preach it. Uh, but I, um, I wouldn't necessarily say, go there and do it. Uh, come to Christ wherever you are uh, at this time. 
But uh, it's not the best thing um, that you can do or somebody can do in, in a nation like that. So I came to Christ and, of course, right at the beginning there were lots of temptations around. Uh, people who didn't want you to follow Christ, um, they would come with different tricks. So the first one was, you're young and you made a mistake, it's okay, you can come back. Um, it's fine, it's still not too late. The next one is, we're going to do this and that. And then the whole thing will just escalate. One of them was, um, as I was growing in my faith, was, yeah, you can be Christian. It's fine. It's absolutely fine. In fact, we want to give you a way and an option where you can carry on believing in Jesus and you can continue to take part in fellowship. All you need to do is to work with us. So what we ask you, you just tell us the answer about other people in the community, about those in fellowship. We just want you to be really honest with us about what goes on in there. And I thought to myself, I'm being asked to report on my brothers and sisters but at the same time, that means I'm free. I don't have to go through any challenges with people around me. I can just go and take part in fellowship. It's a wonderful thing. Hasn't God said that do not neglect fellowship? I'm not neglecting it. In fact, this is an opportunity for me to take part in fellowship easily. But then I knew it's not of God. Because what I had to do in order to gain that easy fellowship wasn't godly. And it was just a really... The first thing that came to my mind as I was preparing. Now, for many of us, there may be quite a lot of things. Some may sound really simple. Some may be very complicated. But you know, it is written, you shall worship your God. And Him only you shall serve. So, if fellowship is serving God, if taking part in fellowship is worshipping him and let that be the only thing beloved when things that are offered look great and sometimes they're too good to be true I'm not saying that they always are go back to the Bible open the word of God and see what the Lord says about it is it in line with God's will for you is it in line with what God has for you are you required to manipulate things at all, even for one bit. Be like Jesus. If you're offered something that is not of God and not his will, do not meditate on it. You know, as I said right at the beginning, King David did. He turned back and looked again. He started thinking about it. How can I reach her? How can she be mine? Do not meditate on it, but instead go back to the word of God. Jesus could have negotiated in here. He could have said, all right, let's talk about it then. Yeah, I'll only do that if you give me a few more planets, um, just a few more tons of gold. Uh, yeah, I'll have 200 wives as well, just like some of the kings had. And if you can give me them, you've got a deal. He didn't. He didn't. Then what happens is, Satan has tried a couple of things. He takes him to Jerusalem on the pinnacle of the temple. Now, you've got to remember where the temple is. It's, it's of great importance and significance to Jews. It's the very presence of God. It's important. It's their national identity. He showed him all the worldly pleasures and power. Jesus said no. He talked to him about food. Jesus said no. I would have probably given in on that point. Now he's trying to give Jesus another opportunity. Now, this may seem silly, but he's giving him an opportunity to look religious. 
a religious opportunity because sometimes we even as Christians think, well, it's okay for me to live in any way I want to, any lifestyle, as long as I'm religious, as long as I'm going to church on a Sunday. So what Satan is telling Jesus is, look, you're standing up here, religious is prestige, you've got status, you've got honor, uh, you're a celebrity, uh, and you're not required to suffer at all. He even quotes the scripture. It reminds Jesus of what the word says. Jesus could have said, oh, my dad's written it, you don't need to tell me. Um, it's actually my word in there. Some of us give in to temptation as long as we're religious. So Satan is telling Jesus, you can be religious, you, you, you can have everything on the outside, but can you tempt God? Can you test him? Why don't you do it? You're a religious guy, you're a good guy, why don't you do it? Everything's to do with God in here, is to do with temple, scripture, quoted by Satan himself, and of course, out of context, and sometimes as Christians we can get into trouble for that as well. So we, get, we take a bit of the scripture, we misquote it, or we take one part of it and build theology on it without really looking at the bigger picture, and that's why things like God's big picture are really helpful, and if you haven't been to one, I would uh, highly recommend you to come to uh, the next one as well. Um, so this is why it's really important as Christians, we know, even when the scripture is quoted to us, even when somebody comes and tells us this is what the Bible says, we understand that we can take it into account, we look at the bigger picture, and we say, yes, this is what God says. I praise God for Bible-believing, spirit-filled churches. For churches, even on side, quite a lot of them, that take the word of God very seriously, and they take it and meditate on it, and they build their theology and foundation of the, of the way they do things on the right way. And they're led by the Spirit of God. What does Jesus say in response to Satan? Do not tempt your God. Again, he's quoting scripture. Now, this is the third time he's being tempted. After 40 days of fasting, and he's quoting some really difficult parts of the scripture. Are we able to follow? Are some of us hiding behind religion, thinking I can live the lifestyle that I choose, even though I know it's not of God, but I can hide behind this religious God and I'll be okay? You know, Jesus dealt with a lot of religious people in his time. Particularly read the Gospel of Matthew right at the beginning of it. The way that he talks to Pharisees. Sometimes you would think, is this the same loving, gracious guy? He is being loving and gracious, but he's just being honest there as well. Talking about the outward work, how it looks on the outside. When we were in Turkey, we were uh, in a setting with um, some brothers and sisters from uh, Iraq and Syria, and... Um, there was an older guy there um, that I went and sat down with and uh, just to talk with him. And um, we started a discussion and he said, let's talk about anything but religion. And I said, yeah, I'm up for it. Brilliant. Uh, he said, I said, anything but religion. I said, yeah, brilliant. I don't really like religion either. He said, I thought you were a Christian. I said, yeah, but you don't like religion. No, not really. Um, so he got confused, uh, I confused him to start with, and then started talking to him that, yeah, to follow Christ is not to belong to a religious group. To follow Christ is not necessarily what, how you look on the outside. And of course, that will come about, 
but that's not the first thing you do. To follow Christ and have a relationship with him hasn't got anything to do with religion. In fact, Jesus didn't really like religion. He wasn't really into religion. He, he actually talked to some of the guys who were religious, thinking that they're righteous, and he, to, uh, he really talked to them in a harsh way, telling them of the things they didn't want to hear, telling them things that no one else would really dare tell them. So what's your temptation today? We saw that Jesus Christ, our God, was tempted. And as I said, temptation is not necessarily sin. But he was tempted. He didn't, didn't give in to it. Now, he is the only ever person in the whole of history who can claim that he didn't give in to temptation. Now, for any of us in here to say that we're the same, we're lying because the Bible says otherwise. What's your temptation? What are you struggling with in your life? There's quite a lot of things. Now, I'm not asking you to put your hands up. But are you struggling with handling money? Are you struggling with drinking, with sexual immorality? Are you struggling with pornography? Are you struggling with gossip, with things that are not of God? They may be very tempting and they may sound and look really good there and then, but you know that the fruit of it is not what God has for you. Are you struggling? It's okay to be struggling, but it's not okay to remain in there and in that season. Hebrews chapter 4, we read, For we do not have a high priest, i.e. Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, again talking about Jesus, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Bible is very clear. We don't, have, we don't worship a God who doesn't really know what it's, li what it's like to be human beings. He, do he doesn't really know who we are, who's not really interested in a relationship with us. We're not worshiping a God who is distant and so far away and only interested in what we do right. He's not our God. If you're struggling, if you're in that season, just like Jesus declared, it is written. Declare it in words. Say it out loud. It is written. And declare the word of God. John Piper says that temptation offers you, it's like a mirage that offers you hope. And hope is really, really tempting. Sometimes it's really difficult to resist hope. Because it's just there and it offers you something. But it's difficult to resist it. But the hope that temptation offers is not true and is not lasting much. Whereas the hope that God offers is there for us. The hope lasts with God. Determine it. What the temptation is offering you. Is that, going, is that a mirage? Is that a hope that's not going to stay around? We've got a shower curtain. I just realized it just a couple of weeks ago that Mavish has changed it. And I don't know when, but I dare to ask, when did you change that? Well, I've just realized as I was taking a shower, eh, this has changed. I, I can't remember seeing these colors around. And it's got lots of really cheesy things written on it. And, and um, Sorry, Mavish. But uh, one of the sentences is, today is the beginning of anything you want it to be. And as I was thinking about it, I thought, that sounds good. I want it to be the beginning of a lazy Saturday morning um, when I woke up a bit late. doesn't happen very often. But, um, and then I can smell this full British breakfast with extra bacon and extra layers 
of bacon with extra hash brown that's so crispy and nice. Uh, and I want it to be the beginning of that. So I'm going to wish for that. I came out and I said, Mawash, what day is it? It's Sunday. What are we doing? We're going to church. Oh, nah. Well, I knew there and then what the shower curtain told me was wrong. I was disappointed. Now, the world tells us, wish or think positive and you'll get it. Have hope and it will come true. Now, sometimes you may have tried it just like me, hoping for a nice British breakfast and all you get is porridge and then you have to rush uh, to church on a Sunday morning. But what God says is different. With God, it's not just wishful thinking. It's not just positive energy. It's not just, oh, I'm going, I'm going to really think about it really, really hard this time and for five more minutes and it will come about. With God, it doesn't work that way. Let's read James um, chapter 1. It says, blessed, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, James, the brother of Jesus, is written this bit, He's a Jewish guy who knows that to say anyone other than God is sinless is actually the greatest sin. You can be stoned to death for it. You'll go to hell for it. You'll, you just can't do it as a Jewish person. You know full well. And he's the guy who grew up with Jesus, so he knows the ins and outs of the life of Jesus. So if you want to know anything negative about Jesus, this is the guy you go to, just like the rest of us. As Paul said this morning in his contribution, he said that some of you may think I'm a good man, but if you really want to know, go and ask Liz. The same with me. If you really want to know, go and ask Mavash. But please don't, because your, your opinion will change. Um, just like the rest of us, if, you, if people really want to know who we are, they've got to go and ask our parents. They've got to go and ask our uh, um, husband or wife or brothers and sisters. They're really sometimes brutal, aren't they? They really tell the truth and the whole truth and add to it a bit as well. So James here is telling us that Jesus, his bigger brother, that sometimes he didn't really like because he got everything right, is without sin, which means he's God, and he's saying that temptation doesn't come from God. And if you're tempted, it's because of your own desires, and if you give in to it, it will lead to sin, and if you carry on, it will lead to death. And he's using an analogy of pregnancy, now, pregnancy is great, and I think childbirth is wonderful, and it's amazing. But what he's using here, he's saying it's just like childbirth, but he's giving birth to something that's not of God. It's not of God. So, how many of you are in wilderness? Going back again to the point. How many of you are feeling, I'm hungry, and there's some bread in here, and I know it's not of God. I really want to go and grab it and eat it, but I, don't, I, I know it's not from God. How many of you feel you're tired and hungry? How many of you feel you're lonely? You're alone? Hang on to the Word of God. 
just like Jesus. Declare the word of God. God has given us his spirit so that through his spirit, by his spirit, we are empowered that we can overcome these temptations. God's given us this spirit in which we read in Isaiah and all your Bibles should really fall out open to that particular chapter. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind the brokenhearted. That's what the spirit of God does in us. In times of trial and temptations, don't accuse God of tempting you. Of course, God will use that for his glory and for your good. But it's not God who is tempting us. And hang on to him. Be led by the Spirit of God. And know the word. Even if you have to memorize it. I'm not being legalistic about it, but memorize it. Know that it will come handy. Jesus didn't have the scrolls on him in the wilderness to go, oh, chapter 1. They didn't, in fact, they didn't have chapters and verses and other things around at the time. So it's the Spirit of God that will come to help. And ask yourself, am I really a new creation? Because if we carry on living as we were, then what has really changed? What's the witness to the world? Because God says when you become a Christian, you're a new creation. He's given you a new heart. A new heart has other things and other desires compared to our old self. Remember when you were a new Christian, when you just come to Christ, the sort of joy that you had, you, want, you were so annoying because you wanted to go and tell everyone and anyone about Jesus. Do you remember that? Some of us may be new Christians here. Please carry on with that attitude. Don't worry. Don't look at the rest of us who just probably a bit, they've given up. Uh, carry on. Be annoying. Go and tell others about Jesus. But do you remember that? You are a new creation. You still are a new creation, but you just need to be filled with His Spirit again and again and again. And when temptations come, and even if you've given in sometimes, you need to know that God's grace is there. So carry on. One of the things that we always pray for Baz Muhammad is, because when he became a Christian, some of you know that he's even changed on the outlook, the way he looks, the way that he talks, his smile. He's really changed. He was a timid guy. After he came to Christ... He goes to his friend's house and wakes them up early morning. He's really annoying, I know that. But to wake them up, to bring them to church so that they can hear the word of God. One of the things I personally really pray for him is that he continues to do that. That the flame in there is growing and growing every day. And that's what prayer for the rest of us. Now some of you may think, well, I was really in a tempting season but I've given in. Hmm. I, I, I don't really know what to do. You know, repentance is the way forward. This is where you can just come to your knees before God. I'm not preaching cheap grace. I'm not saying, go and carry on doing it and come back. And, Hallelujah, I did it again, so there's more grace. No, I'm not preaching that, and I'm not saying that. But I know that grace of God is sufficient. The grace that He has for you and I is sufficient. Come before Him with repentance and bring it before Him and ask Him to take it away from you and ask Him to help you in times of need, and ask Him to pour out His Spirit on you. Now, I think it would be a really good opportunity for us to pray. Can I ask the ministry team maybe to go to the sides now as we... Um, and also, if I could ask the um, band to come up, please. Uh, now, even the ministry team may want to be prayed for. So, if you'd like to be prayed for, and you're in the ministry team, can I just ask you to 
indicate that. Just let somebody know, uh, let the person who's next to you know, that you'd like to be prayed for either before or after we start prayer. For the rest of us, if you feel you're in the wilderness, you're in the desert, if you feel you're lonely, if you feel that times are difficult, it's been like this for ages, it hasn't changed really. If you feel, I really want this and it's within reach, but I know it's not God's will. I really want to be discerning. Allow us to pray for you. Let us pray for you. It's nothing that we can do, but it's the words that we speak and the person that we ask that makes all the changes. If you'd like to be prayed for, can I ask you to go to one of these guys and ask to be prayed for? If you've given in to temptation, if you really feel, no, I let Jesus down, don't worry. Come before him. He has grace for you, but we also want to be there for you to help you so that next time you feel the presence of the devil around you, tempting you, you know that you're not on your own. You know that the Spirit of God is working within you, but also you have a community, a family, who can come and give you a helping hand, who can encourage you with the Scripture, who can pray for you so that you can overcome the temptations. Let us stand. As we go into worship with songs, if you'd like to be prayed for...